Promise me son, not to do the things I've done. Walk away from trouble when you can. It don't mean you're weak if you turn the other cheek. Thanks for ruining that. I was trying to add background music to it. Yeah, whips. Yeah. You're a terrible person. Do I do I interrupt your foolish singing with bullshit? Yes. No, I don't. I just wait till you're done and then I harshly criticize you. I thought we were riffing like jazz musicians. No, I was doing a serious rendition of a of a beloved Kenny Rogers classic. Who? Coward of the County. Are you calling me a coward? I don't even live in a county. But Actually, you did you do. did react to that pretty quickly, so maybe a little introspection's needed. <laughs> How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm you, good. I'm good. You made me uncomfortable because I was like good singing. I know. And then you um, you, you decided you were going to sabotage it. Sabotage. Ding, 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 ding. Yes. Like any good bully, I saw someone uh, who I, I felt was higher than me, and I decided to cut them down with a whip. You're soon going to own an 18-wheeler. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Oh, well. Dan, this is a big day. Why? Because I'm finally doing a long-promised episode. Oh, uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I don't know what you're doing. Okay. I'm well, excited. I'm t- tonight, Dan on the Weird, or today, whenever you're listening to it, or, you know, in space where it is neither mm-hmm. night, t- If you're near the night. event horizon of a black hole and time ceases to exist, welcome. And now, now, it's now. It's always now. I am finally going to talk about Roswell. Oh! Yeah, the top 10 UFO story. You've been talking about this since, like, the beginning. Yeah, well, I've been researching this, it seems, since the beginning of time. Okay. Uh, Okay, I got to start out with kind of a a confession. I had no idea when I started researching this what it was going to be like. This is kind of like the JFK assassination. There are so many rabbit holes that you can disappear down so many theories okay so much speculation so many conspiracy theories honestly it's absolutely exhausting there are so many books written on roswell you could fill an ikea bookcase literally with just books about roswell specifically may i ask you a question uh that i don't that i don't think is um jumping to anything please do i i always was confused um, with Roswell and Area 51. Are the two at all connected? No, not really. Like they're not geographically close or anything? A little bit. A little yes. bit, but not, but not, sort they're not of. neighboring communities. No, or and this incident, um, I mean, it's all linked together in the lore of UFO right. investigation by the military forces in the United States. Right. Which is all very specific to a certain time, which is the time we're going to be talking about today. So Roswell, um, so folks, this is how this is going to, this is how I'm going to lay this down. I decided to go with a few, um, down a few of the rabbit holes that I thought were most interesting. Uh, I could have gone a lot farther with this. I didn't think it was necessary. Um, we're not the kind of podcast, like we could have, you and I could easily have done 10 parts on Roswell. Right, I'm sure we could. Right? You know, it's this, It's like Jeff K, like I said, or any of the, the sort of big legends or myths, however you want to look at it. Um, but I picked through the bones and I found the ones with what I thought had the most meat on them. And so that's what I'm offering you tonight at our little buffet. So excited? Very. This is a great one. I, I, I like this stuff. So, Well, Roswell is one of the top 10 UFO incidents right. in the world. It's probably one of the top most well-known. Had a show named after it that I never watched. A ter- well, it was a teen, teen yes. show with good-looking teenagers and having problems, right? Romantic problems with aliens. Yeah, and the, each other, and they all scowl. Oh okay, take a deep cleansing breath. We're going back <laughs> to 19... 19- 47, and that's okay. where this begins. This is the apex of the story. So 1947, the horrors, and I do mean horrors, we've talked about this before, World War II are now behind everyone involved. And we're just about, as uh, the modern world is just about to embark on an incredible era of prosperity and scientific discovery. It's going to be, uh, next couple of decades are going to be like no decades in history have ever been with the exception maybe, I guess, of industrialization, but things are about to explode. We're mm-hmm. going to see really the, um, the discovery, well, not discovery, but the uh, evolution of the suburbs. 
as a way of life. That's going to happen. We're going to see factories opening everywhere. Car culture is going to become yeah. a, a major influence. There's going to be more roads built than ever in history. It's just an interesting time. So also on the downside, uh, and this is particularly um, important right now because um, I don't know when you listen to this podcast, folks, but in real time, it's no uh, February the 3rd. What on earth? Oh my God. You're time traveling right now. Shut up. You're in the future. This is my present, but you're... Are you from February 3rd? Which February 3rd? What year is it? Hello? Do you... Do you not speak to me in your time? Oh God, what have I done? What have I done to you? You're from the future. Did I rob your house? Because I've been thinking about it, and I just want you to know that in my timeline, I won't go through with it. What are you looking at on your phone? Anything. <laughs> okay, I made a mistake as I read the date backwards. Here in our time, in current time, it is March the 2nd. And we're dealing with the uh, with problems with this country as we speak. So the Cold War is what I was going to talk about. And the Cold War that was going to go on for a long time has just started. It's just begun. All right, so let's get into the specifics. It's June the 14th, 1947. A 48-year-old rancher named Mac Brazell and his son Vernon. I love that it's... I know you always make fun of me for loving names, but Vernon. I just love that, That's your dog crying, right? Yeah, it's my okay, dog. Okay, I thought it was he mine. It always bothers me. Um, and Mac and Vernon. And they're out and about on a ranch. It's the J.B. Foster Ranch. It's located in Lincoln County, New Mexico. And Brazell uh, doesn't own the ranch, but he operates it on behalf of the owner. Okay. And as they're wandering through the property, they come across strange wreckage scattered across the ground. The wreckage is located about 75 miles north of a small community known as Roswell. At that time, the Roswell area is mostly dominated by farming and ranching. It's an agricultural community. There's also a military base nearby that houses uh, the 509th Composite Group. Ever heard of them? Never. The 509th Composite? Well, if you were a military historian, you would know who they are. They were the group that had dropped the two atom bombs during World War II. Oh, okay. You know what? A lot of military people won't admit being part of that group because- Interesting. Yeah, it's such a dark history. Mm -hmm. So they're the people that, that did it. Now, throughout that area, that part of the world, in New Mexico and in neighboring Arizona and all the other states around it, there had been a lot of stories about strange flying objects that summer, because remember, we're in June. So Brazil wondered if, in fact, he might have found one of those objects that people had been talking about that had been reported in the press. Now, specifically, he described what he had found as comprising rubber strips, tin or metallic foil, and thick paper. So he doesn't really think much of it, and he returns to his duties as the operator of the ranch. On June 24th, a pilot named Kenneth Arnold, and this is a very famous incident, while he was flying sighted nine unidentified objects in the air near Mount Rainier, Washington. And he estimated that the objects were traveling at about 1,200 miles per hour. Okay. Important to note, that at this particular time in history, there were no man-made craft that could even come close to matching those speeds. No, uh, and this is, sorry, this is also in 47? Yes, it's 10 days later. Because the Germans in the towards the end of the World War II had developed uh, jet aircraft, but I'm not sure, I don't think that they even could travel beyond Mach 1. Yeah, 1,200 miles per hour is fast. That's very fast. So the objects he, uh, he, he observed were actually crescent-shaped. They weren't um, the traditional flying saucer. Um, I've seen renderings of them, and they looked a little bit kind of like a boomerang. You know what they also look like? You know those um, things that Batman throws that are shaped like a bat? Yeah. The little knife things? They look actually a lot like that. I'm thinking of the um, Cylon ships in Battlestar Galactica. Yes. Okay, yes. Are a bit funny shaped like that too, yes. right? Yeah. Or those big blades that the Klingons have. They're shaped like that as well. Or the, the stealth bomber. Yeah. The flying wing. I hate the stealth bomber. Uh, you've said that before and I don't understand why you it. Because it looks evil. Oh, I see. Okay. It's just an evil looking device. Mm -hmm. So throughout the early summer of that year, 1947, there had been more than 300 reported sightings 
of strange objects in the skies over the United States. Back to Mr. Brazil. On July the 4th, he decides, the 4th of July, you think he'd be celebrating? No, he returns to the site with his wife and daughter. And at that point, the family together gathered up as much of the debris as they could, and they take it with them, loaded into the truck, and away it goes. Now, he had no access to a telephone at the time, so he stores what they've gathered at his home. So he just brings okay. it to his house. Brazil's finally able to contact the sheriff, and he shows him some of the objects, and the sheriff immediately notifies the military at the nearby military base. So the debris is then inspected by officials from the Roswell Army Airfield, which is the base I mentioned earlier. They thoroughly inspect the wreckage, and they also ask to visit the initial site where Brazil made the discovery. And at that uh, area, after they sort of combed the whole area, they found more debris. Okay. All of it was carefully removed, cataloged, and taken to the Army Airfield. Now, it's important to note that witnesses who saw the debris, a number of them, claimed that one of the objects actually contained markings that looked a lot like hieroglyphics. Oh. Yeah. They didn't look like random markings. They were definitely some kind of language. So in response to the discovery, this is where things get muddy. The U.S. Air Force sent out a press release which stated as follows. A flying object landed on a ranch near Roswell sometime last week. Not having phone facilities, the rancher stored the disc until such time as he was able to contact the sheriff's office, who in turn notified Major Jesse A. Marcel of the 509th Bomb Group Intelligence Office. Action was immediately taken, and the disc was picked up at the rancher's home. It was inspected at the Roswell Army Airfield and subsequently loaned by Major Marcel to higher headquarters. Now, the, uh, the press release went on, but that's the most important paragraph. So the Roswell Daily Record, which, as the title says, was a daily publication, ran the following headline. R-A-A-F. Oh, I should do it in that. R-A-A-F captures flying saucer on ranch in Roswell region. Did I do that well? You did that very well. Bravo, Riley. And I'll have to put in teletype noises behind it. Just use this sound effect, Riley. You sound like an excited Filipino woman. Um, well, <laughs> needless to say, after the publication of that, the media went absolutely well, yeah, bonkers, of right? Course. Yes. Of course you're going to. So the next day, I love this dueling newspapers. The next day, <laughs> the Roswell Dispatch, which believe it or not, was a morning newspaper. So just think about this for a second. A community of 3,000 people has a morning newspaper as well as a daily newspaper. Yeah, interesting. So the daily, the daily would come out in the evening? Yeah. Okay. I guess it was the era of the newspaper, right? They I guess didn't so. have yeah. the internet. So the, the Roswell Dispatch ran a story with this headline. Army debunks Roswell flying disc as world simmers with excitement. Mm. And in that article, it was explained that the military had in fact determined that the debris was merely the remains of a weather balloon. This is what I remember. Like, I don't know a lot about Roswell. I know that the, the, the broad strokes that the claim was that it was a weather balloon. Yeah, but it's it, you have to really go, whoa, the military really debunked that story fast, right. like really fast, like by the next morning, right? Because the newspaper that said that they'd found something came out in the evening, and by next morning, there was already a an article where the military said, nah, it was just a weather balloon. And why would they care uh, the, about collecting a weather like a freaking weather balloon? Because everybody says they didn't want to draw attention to the fact that there was an active alien investigation. But this going is what on. I mean. Why, if it had ha- if it had actually been a weather balloon, who mm-hmm. cares? There's What's a the theory later about why that's important. Okay, okay. Then I will tell you. All right. So, thanks to that article, everyone was reassured. The threat from the stars was nothing more than a simple, mundane, man-made object. We were safe. That was that. Roswell. Dan was mostly forgotten. Then, in 1978, a Canadian nuclear physicist named Stanton Friedman Uh claimed that what had taken place 31 years earlier in Roswell was indeed a UFO event. He claimed that he had met with an Air Force officer who had actually been there and that the government had ordered him to stay quiet about the whole affair. Mm Now, Friedman had covertly researched the incident and had interviewed many credible witnesses who had been involved. 
His work resulted in a lot of data, which two gentlemen named Charles Berlitz and William Moore put together in a very famous book called The Roswell Incident, which was published in 1980. Now, Dan, you were too young, but I remember this book real well. It was a big seller. Mm -hmm. In that book, Berlitz and Moore insisted that the debris was indeed from a UFO and that the weather balloon story had been an elaborate cover-up. Right. Many of the people involved were respected military officials, and most of them claimed that the debris that he had interviewed, most of them claimed that the debris was indeed from a craft of alien origin. Wow. Are you scared? I'm titillated. Ah, you're always titillated. Yes, I am. (laughs) In 1989, after watching an episode of What TV show am I always referencing? Uh, Unsolved Mysteries? Yes. (laughs) It was either that or That's Incredible or Ripley's Believe It or Not. With T. Leak. Uh, After watching an episode of Unsolved Mysteries that dealt with the Roswell incident, a guy named Glenn Dennis contacted the show and claimed that a friend who had worked as a nurse at Roswell Airfield had seen the bodies of three extraterrestrials at that facility. Okay, on July the 5th, which is the day after Brazil first stumbled across the wreckage, a nurse, who this nurse who was employed at the base, she opened the door to an examination room. She was looking for supplies. She was horrified to see two doctors she had never seen before carefully examining the bodies of three small humanoid creatures. I thought you were going to say she went into a closet and they were just stuffed there. That's why I started giggling. No, 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 no. No, it was an examination room. Okay. Yeah, and there were three of these really weird figures on a stainless steel table. And there were two doctors she had never seen before examining them. She noticed that they differed from humans. She said their heads were too big, their arms were too thin, and their bodies were really narrow. From what she could see, well, not from what she could see because she was there for a while, she said that two of the bodies were really badly mangled, but the third seemed to be mostly intact. So the doctors then asked the nurse to assist them with the autopsy, and she did. Okay, so she's not like walking, going, oh my God, and then getting out. She's actually there officially. No, she did walk in. It's like, oh, and they're like, yeah, give us a hand. Okay. So she did. Uh, Eventually, the three, the two doctors and Nurse X, had to abandon the process due to the overwhelming smell of decaying flesh. Interesting. Two two episodes in a row, Dan, where we're talking about the overwhelming smell of decaying flesh. Yeah, yeah. Can I ask you a question? You just said Nurse X. I'm about to tell you why. Okay. This nurse is referred to in all UFO history as Nurse X. She didn't want anyone to know who she was. And so Dennis promised to keep her identity a secret. And so she's always referred to in all the books as Nurse X. Because she's the only one of the nurses who said she actually saw the bodies. So at the time, uh, the guy who called Unsolved Mysteries, Glenn Dennis, he was working in Roswell as the town's mortician and also ambulance driver. Because only 3,000 people, right? So when he's not embalming, he's picking people up. And he often brings them to the military base, which has a really good hospital. Right. So he, he said that on the day of the incident, he had dropped an injured person off at the base hospital. And he was rudely told to leave immediately by officers he had never seen before. Before that, he had been allowed to go into the base and drop off the injured parties. And he wasn't. They mm-hmm. said, we'll take it from here. And they kicked him out. So, and he stated verbatim, all of these people had come in from out of town and they just kind of took over. They were in the halls. They were everywhere. I didn't see the regular doctors or anybody. The only familiar person I saw was her. He's talking about Nurse X. A few days after that incident, Dennis arranged a lunch date with Nurse X to find out what was going on. And it was during that lunch meeting that she told him the story I just told you. And as I said, he promised to share the story, but keep her identity a secret. Now, this is where things start to get interesting. Dennis never saw or heard from Nurse X again, even though they were friends. When he tried to contact her, he was told that she had been transferred. But then later, he heard a rumor that she had gone down in a plane that was out on a training mission. Now, it's really important to uh, for me to mention There's no record that Nurse X or five other nurses who actually appear in photos of the Roswell Base yearbook ever served in the armed forces. 
UFO experts claim that this is the result of the military removing all evidence of the Roswell event. So, sorry, Nurse X could have been one of those five, though, because we don't know who she is, right? Yes, she could have. And so there is photo evidence of five nurses. Yes. Having been at Roswell, but the uh, the military is saying they never existed. Yeah, and people couldn't find evidence of it. But I'm about... This reminds me of Bob Lazar, right? Where they made Bob Lazar disappear. But now we know there's evidence that shows he actually was working there. Well, and Very on all similar. these publications... There's, uh, they, they said that there was no evidence that these nurses had ever worked at the base. This was in a lot of websites I saw. There's a lot of books, but I'm going to bring up something later on that says, nope, you're wrong. Oh, I love it. Okay, so uh, they say that this is all because they just wanted to cover their tracks. So here we go. This is what I was about to tell you. However, years later, one of the nurses that everyone claims didn't exist was actually located. Oh, and this was by investigative journalism. She was 78 years old and she was living in a nursing home and her name was Rose Mary Brown. And she said she remembered the other four nurses quite vividly. They were all deceased by then, but she had no recollection of all at all of Nurse X. So when that person was described to her, that description didn't- said, I don't know who that was. Yeah, she claimed that they didn't exist. She also said she knew nothing about the alien autopsies. However, she did say at the interview, and I'm quoting, I know that something went on and I know it was very hush-hush. And I know I didn't know anything about it. It was closed up tight as a drum, you know, by the base officials. So she said there was something going on there, but they weren't privy to it. Mm. And, and uh, the interviewer said she was a very credible, lucid source. Like she was 78, but she had her faculties and she remembered very distinctly what had gone on at the base. She said a lot of weird stuff went on there. So those are the foundational things that I'm going to, that sort of lay out the Roswell incident. So people say that there was an alien autopsy performed there and people say that didn't happen. Military says it had said it was a weather balloon. The nurse said she saw it. Other people say the nurse never existed. It all comes, though, from that debris being found, okay? So there we are. Now, we're going to go quite quite uh, far into the future. We're going to 2012. Oh. Yeah, because I thought this was one of the most fascinating things that I stumbled across, and I thought I needed to share this. Be before you jump then. Yeah, is there anything else you want to know about the 40s? Well, I do want to say this. It is very possible as well that there was something militarily classified about whatever crashed. Yes. Whether it was a an American or it was a Russian, like Soviet jet or something like that. I don't know. If, I, Dan, I don't know the history of that well enough to... to what? Dan, yes? put a pin in that because I'm going to actually take you there. Yeah, I'm actually going to take you there. So you're right on the right track, my friend. So you're getting good at this. You're getting good at your sleuthing. Yeah. It's all those exercises you give me in between shows, uh, making me think. We're turning into the weird Hardy Boys. We're like, yes. we're on the case. I'll be Frank and you be Joe. Uh, and we find uh, a skeleton in a cave, but it turns out it's just our father's toolkit. Do you know I had all those books? I did too. And you know what? What? Never read them. Oh, No. I loved them, but I'm from a generation that we loved those books. Connor got them from his uh, grandparents, never read them. They're so good. I know, and I was disappointed that he didn't because they do look cool. I don't know well, why Well, they're just a great gateway. They teach you how to read. And they're, they're not too complicated, but just complicated enough to challenge you when you're that age. Yeah. Yeah. I used to get in trouble, actually, because the teacher, I would sneak out of, out of the class and I would go to the library and hide under the table to read my Hardy Boy books. And she'd come and get me and bring uh, me back. I, I'm not kidding. I was more like I loved Mark Twain. I read a lot of Mark Twain, even like Edgar Allan Poe, Nietzsche. I didn't read that when I was so like I was reading eight. Nietzsche by the time I was five. Albert Camus by the time I was six. Yeah, of course I went through were. my first existential crisis at the age of seven. And you've never left it. I haven't. Are you ready for 2012? I am ready for 2012. 
Okay, this is now, okay, there's a bunch of names involved in this, a whole bunch of people. But for the sake of simplicity, because I was getting confused writing it, we're going to talk about a videographer named Adam Dew. And all of the people that worked with him on this, there's a whole bunch of people. I'm just going to call them the, call them his team or the people he was working with, okay? Because it just gets really, really complicated. Sure. And, and dear listener, if you want to go find out more about this, go online and just... I love Omni. I love Omni. I'd forgotten how much I loved Omni. Okay. So this videographer named Adam Dew was contacted by a former business partner. And that guy claimed that he had something very important to share with him. Adam was intrigued. So they met later that day. And the man showed him a number of slides, photographic slides, not uh, microscopic slides, that had been found by his sister. And she had found them during the course of getting rid of the belongings of an elderly woman who had died. So she had been hired by the family to clean out this woman's house. Sure. I've gone to auctions like that. They're the grimmest thing. An estate auction? Yeah. Estate auctions where you go to a house where someone's died and you the whole house is for sale, like everything in it. And I remember going to one and I was in the basement and they were selling like the, the entire like person's Christmas decorations. And I felt so sad I had to leave. I just was like, that's so sad. Yeah. Well, I remember when my grandparents passed, we inherited a number of their things. And I found that even though it was my, my grandmother was the last to go, I found it hard. Like we got like some, for example, utensils. I didn't want to touch them. Yeah. And it's not that I found my, I, I have only very fond memories of my grandmother. I was very close with her. It was just, I don't know. It felt macabre. Estate sales are gross because it's a bunch of strangers picking through the bones of yeah, someone's yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, you know, it's just ever go to one and there those. they are, like all clawing through someone's Christmas treasures. And you know, Christmas is such an important thing to a lot of people. Yeah. Okay. Now that everyone's sad, yeah. so uh, for some reason, the girl who had uh, been disposing of these belongings had held on to the slides. And she brought them home and had forgotten that she had them. She put them in a closet, forgot all about it. Years later, she found them and loaded them into a projector. It's good that she had them because like a projector, because projectors haven't been a thing since maybe the 80s. I had one, but who takes slides anymore, right? Yeah. So she looked them up and she was uh, startled to see a bunch of very interesting images from the past. A lot of them were close up photos of Dwight D. Eisenhower. And his wife. And then, hidden amongst all the slides in the box, she found two slides wrapped in parchment paper. And when she put them into the projector, what she saw left her completely shocked and speechless. They contained the images of a shriveled humanoid form inside a glass case. It had withered arms, frail legs, and a large triangular skull with huge elongated eye sockets and a very tiny rudimentary mouth. Mm. Now, Adam Dew, the videographer that we're talking about here, he was a very down-to-earth guy. And he had really not spent a lot of his life thinking about UFOs. That's just not his thing. He's very pragmatic. He, when he finally saw the images, was stunned by them. And he was determined to find out where they had come from. So thus begins his investigation of their origin. He discovers that these slides had been in the possession of a woman named Hilda Blair. And Hilda had lived in Sedona, Arizona. I've actually been there. Oh? Yeah, Sedona's witchy. It's like the, there's a lot of spas and stuff there. And there's like a lot of like spiritualism, crystals, that right. kind of stuff. Not, I shouldn't say witchy because there's not that kind of stuff, but it's very um, metaphysical. Yes, very metaphysical. A lot of people go there and have had experiences. There's a lot of really interesting hippie kind of people living in Sedona, and it's really beautiful. So Dew, the videographer, uh, then contacted a guy named Tom Carey. And Tom Carey's really well known. He's a retired Philadelphia businessman who had a, a background in anthropology. But his big thing was he loved UFOs, loved the whole idea of them. And he had written several books on the subject, many, in fact, about the Roswell incident. So after entering into a non-disclosure agreement with with Carey, Dew sent him the slides. And Tom Carey was stunned at what he saw. 
And as he stared at the images on the slides, he uttered three words under his breath. And those words were, child of earth. Now, why would he say child of earth? Well, the daughter of a Roswell firefighter stated that her father had in fact seen the three alien bodies at Roswell. And when he was asked over and over again by his children to describe what he had seen, he had simply replied, child of earth. And those words would stay with his daughter for a lifetime. The reason Carrie knew about this was because he'd interviewed her as part of a UFO book. Okay. Carrie stated as follows, and I quote, When I saw that image and saw that marking on that body lying on the slab, it jumped right out at me. That's what Dan Dwyer was talking about. Also, the body looked exactly like what had been described to me by several eyewitnesses, frail, big head, etc. My first thought was, this has to be one of the Roswell bodies. It wasn't a sketch, it was a photo, and it was obviously taken right after the recovery. Now, when I say Dan Dwyer, that was the name of the Roswell firefighter. So do the videographer, I keep saying that to remind you, and the people he was working with, he had a partner at that time, took the slides to a whole whack of experts. Yeah. And the, and the, yeah, that's what you would do. These included professors and also experts in photography and image correction. Experts from Kodak determined that the slides were real and that they had been taken sometime between 1945 and 1950. Okay, I was going to ask that question, so that's good to know. Yeah. The, 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 They're legitimately the, from that era. Yeah, legitimately taken from that era. Now, an expert at the University of Toronto, and hey, shout out to Canada. So, whoop, whoop. some Canadian stuff going in here. Noted that the figure in the slide. <laughs> and that's, by the way, good listener, anytime uh, Canadians hear about their country in a broader international context, that's what we all say. Let's get Canadian stuff up in here. <laughs> the Canadian, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Where my people at? Where my people at? Where my people at? My <laughs> Where's my people at? <laughs> and then we go curl. And then we go curling with our beaver. I'm not touching that. Uh, so the University of a Toronto expert, he said that the figure in the slide had only half as many ribs as a human being. And no collarbone. You don't have collarbones, right? I had them removed, so I look better in sweaters. So Hilda Blair, who had <laughs> owned the slides previously, she'd been an attorney. Um, and she's a really interesting woman. I could do a whole podcast about her. So Linda she'd Blair's been, the one who got the slides from the estate Hilda sale? Hilda Blair, not Linda Blair. Linda Blair was the exorcist. Oh, yeah. Hilda is the person who had them sitting and gave them to do. No, she had owned them. They traced them to her. Oh, 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 okay, okay. Yes, she was the one who had died. She had been married to a geologist and had been living in Texas. They had never had any children, and that's probably why she had been hired to clean out her house, because there was no kids to do right. it. And they had been avid travelers. They loved the world. They loved to discover. They were nomads. They considered the whole world was a trail to be explored. Okay, really interesting people. And she knew a lot of people who were also involved in the government. And a lot of people have said that she knew Eisenhower's wife, Mamie, oh. that they were good friends. And perhaps that is how she had come to possess the slides that they've been given to her by Mamie Eisenhower. Now, I should also note here that Eisenhower's great-granddaughter claimed, and this is in writing, that her grandfather had confessed to the whole family that he had actually met aliens during his presidency. I've heard that. Yeah. So that, okay, so that's where that comes from. When I think of Mamie Eisenhower, I always think of like a very comforting grandma with biscuits. Mm -hmm. She had that vibe. With like a jetpack. You and your jetpack. And dance boots. What is it with you and your jetpack? Okay, so Dew's team... Also noted that Hilda's home in Texas was located only 250 miles away from Roswell. So they took the slides to Roswell and they talked to the folks that lived there. So when they went to Roswell and said, hey, have you seen these slides? People looked at them suspiciously and said, do the government know you have those? Oh, yeah. Creepy. And another resident, when he saw the slides, just looked at them with a really terrified look on his face and said, be safe. See, that's the point you get in your car and you go to hell home. Well, that makes me wonder what kind of people are living in Roswell now. 
Well, conspiracy theorists and things would be there, I'm sure. But yeah. a lot of people in Roswell claim that they were approached by the millers. Of, you know, the men in black, that everybody in Roswell has seen the men in black. Everybody. We should do an episode on the men in black. There's people in Roswell. Yeah, we should. There's people in Roswell who claim that they've had days from their lives erased. I've had that. Well, yeah, but the, yours was erased by tequila. Yes, and peach snaps. Oh, peach snaps. They used to give us shooters at the bar of peach snaps. Ooh. It gro- it's gross. It's like medicine. Sweet oh, disco medicine. Sweet disco medicine. I'm turning into you. Now I want to write a song called Sweet Disco Medicine. Sweet Disco Medicine. Come on over here and get you some of this. Sweet Disco Medicine. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <Ba-ba-boo. laughs> Sweet Disco Medicine. Let's change the name of the podcast to Sweet, Sweet Disco, Disco Medicine. medicine. Yeah. Yeah. I'm down. You know what? I got to have a t shirt now that says Sweet Disco Medicine. I'm telling you, one day we'll get our act together and we'll start selling Gilboa fruits, (laughs) uh, shirts, and mugs, and Sweet Disco Medicine uh, disco balls. And And I still like my phrase that I coined in very early in the podcast. Remember that time I said, It's always a bad time somewhere. Anyway, okay. It's true, especially these days. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Good Lord. Don't. I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I just love, though, the resident, I can see him too, right? We're picturing him from a horror movie, comes up to them and he goes, be safe. Totally, yeah. Okay, so around that time, Dew, the videographer, and his team, well, Dew specifically for this one, had begun to notice a white van parked in front of his house. Oh, no. I'll just leave that there. In Roswell, Dew had tracked down a gentleman named Eliezer Benavides. (laughs) I know, that's a hard one, but I said it, Eliezer Benavides. And um, Eliezer, I'll call him that. Let's call him Laser. Laser Laser. had worked at the Air Force base, and he had claimed to have seen without a doubt the bodies of the aliens. And when he looked at the slides, Laser stated without hesitation, that's what I saw in 1947. Hmm. So Dew and his team became involved also with a gentleman named Jamie Mawson. Now, Jamie Mawson, or Mawson, was a journalist living in Mexico City and also a really well-known UFO enthusiast. If you're part of that community to this day, you will know the name Jamie Mawson. <laughs> now, he, he kind of sounds like the Fire Island uh, equivalent in the UFO community because he wanted to stage an event in an auditorium and call it Be Witness. Now, <laughs> Dew and his team didn't like that idea, but they needed support and they had no money, so they agreed. So they sent Mawson a copy of the slides. He then took them to Mexico, the country of Mexico's National Forensic Institute. And officials from that institute stated that there were 20 anomalies visible on the body that made it distinctly not human. And these included a very large head, four sets of ribs rather than the human 10, and the lack of a pelvis. How is that possible? Well, because he was an alien. On May the 5th, 2015, almost 7,000 people paid $86. It's such a weird amount. I hate when people come up with weird amounts. Just call it 90 bucks to attend the Be Witness event. And it was a four-hour-long extravaganza. And the list of speakers is, like, unbelievable. It was tacky. It was overblown. And it, of course, featured a person dressed as an alien walking back and forth across the stage. (laughs) And it was at that event that the slides were first shown to the public. Oh, okay. And when they were finally revealed at the Be Witness event, where, where, you know, 7,000 people had paid to be a witness, the slides immediately drew worldwide attention. And that can be a good thing, Dan, or a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Three days later, a high-resolution image of the slide was released. It had been carefully processed and restored, and all of the blurring had been removed. And that slide now revealed a placard on the image, on the the glass case that read as follows. Mummified body of a two-year-old boy. At the time of burial, the body was clothed in, and this part was unreadable, cotton shirt. Burial wrappings consisted of these small cotton blankets loaned by Mr., and that was unreadable, from San Francisco, California. So it was a a deformed child. Yeah. Dew and the team refused to believe it, and they thought it was a hoax. However, further image processing revealed the name of the donor to be, in fact, an S.L. Palmer. 
and government records were then found showing that a gentleman indeed named Palmer had discovered those remains in 1896 in a series of cave dwellings in the cliffs of Arizona. Oh. Funnily enough, I'm going to be doing a podcast on those cave dwellings because they're quite mysterious in and of themselves. Cool. That site, by the way, is located about 30 miles from where the slides had originally been discovered. Records included proof that the body was that of a Native American child. And records also showed photos of the burial site where you could see the body lying on blankets not long after it had been discovered Mm. and removed from the site. So the final piece of the puzzle, the location of that body in the image, in those slides, was discovered. It had been on display in the Chapin Mesa Archaeological Museum in Mesa Verde, Colorado. And this was where, and this was where, this was where that photo, this was where the photo had been taken sometime in the late 1940s. So long dead, mummified, Mm -hmm. and died at a young age because of these deformities, most likely. Yeah, probably. Or, I mean, who knows, right? Who knows? The body, no one can find it now probably been destroyed. I mean, maybe the ribs have been removed posthumously. There's, who knows? They might've had burial rites that no one knows about. Who knows really? But it's definitely not an alien. But I love this story. Mm -hmm. I love it because like, I love the guy calls up and says, I have these slides. They, They see the slides. Everybody loses their shit. The slides get passed around and finally they have like a big disco extravaganza. And then the slides end up on the internet and kaboom. It's that uh, that thing that ends up uh, uh, um, making them not be alien related. Uh, I know I, I like that because it's um, and that we both do that with. We won't mislead our listeners to tell just a good story. Well, if we find things that debunk, we we share those. Well, I love the fact that the internet took over and figured it all out. Yeah. All right, Dan. We're getting close to the end. I really compacted this one in 1994 the U.S. Air Force took back its weather balloon story and stated, yeah, that the debris had in fact been from a spy device associated with a classified project known as Project Mogul. And the purpose of that project was to spy on the USSR. Mm -hmm. This was why it had been so important to keep the mechanism hush-hush. The device, which you can see diagrams for, involved a series of microphones attached to balloons that could detect sound waves. Oh. Yeah, it was a whole series of, it was like a balloon array. And it would just, very, very, very sensitive microphones. But many have declaimed, have declaimed, many have declaimed, many have debunked this claim, saying that the flight in question had never happened and in fact been canceled by the military. And military records do um, exist that say it had been canceled, that that, that it had never gone up. Now, the reason that we have this evidence is because in the 1990s, the member, the that time member of Congress for New Mexico had asked the military to conduct a thorough reinvestigation of the Roswell incident because he wanted it to just be dealt with. And the result of that was a document called the Roswell Report, Fact versus Fiction in the New Mexico Desert. You can get a copy of it. It's the size of like the New York phone book. It contains thousands of documents related to the event, including the diagrams that I just mentioned. And it reaffirms and puts a seal of approval on the Project Mogul theory, that it was, in fact, a device that was used to um, spy on the Soviets. Well, think about this. For example, we talked about the stealth bomber. It comes out now that people did describe that bomber before it was ever known to the public, right? Mm -hmm. What did they automatically think? It was an alien ship. It wasn't. It was just cutting edge technology being flown around. It looks like a bit so strange and weird. Yeah, it's so otherworldly looking. It yeah. is. It really is. Even watching it fly in the sky just doesn't seem like something that should. So I could see that too with this type of thing that, uh, yeah, the government absolutely didn't want anyone to know what the hell was going on. And it was a very dangerous time, right? The Cold really War was horrible. Everyone was always walking on pins and needles. And there was so much um, subversive shit going on that we don't know about. That's right. Before his death in 1986, Major Marcel, uh, who had originally investigated uh, the debris, confessed that he had secretly hidden three pieces of that debris on top of the water heater in his home. However, they were never located. Roswell, these days, has a very famous UFO museum 
a UFO research center and a science center, a very famous as well UFO-themed McDonald's, which is really great, and I'd love to eat there someday, alien-themed streetlights, and every type of tacky UFO paraphernalia one could ever want in a lifetime. And that's the community's bread and butter, is UFO people, enthusiasts, and curiosity seekers. So Dan, that is um, the tidbits of Roswell that I thought I would share with the audience. There's my tale. So let me ask you this question then. Uh, do you think there ever was any alien activity at that Air Force base? You know, Dan, we could talk about this for a long time because I was thinking that very issue today. There's so much that you have to take into consideration. Context is everything. We're at a time when it's UFO mania. UFOs have started to enter sort of um, the zeitgeist. People are talking about them. People want to believe in them. Um, the eyes of the world are also turning to space. Um, you know, the space race is not too far off in the, in the future. It's a sensationalist time, too. Um, the world is opening up. People's minds are opening up. Transportation is about to change everything. I mean, there's so many factors that have to be taken into account. But do I think that it happened? No, I don't. Mm -hmm. What about you? I agree. I, I agree that I think that the plausible explanation, the most likely explanation is the explanation that it was a military spy craft, right? Uh, this weird balloon, the body, those, those, didn't someone say too, that saw that saying, that's what I saw. Yes. Well, there you go. They automatically, they do, yeah. they, they lose any credibility if what they saw was a indigenous child that had died 50 years previously. Well, you know, they did a study. It, it makes me think of this. They did a study where they were examining the um, efficacy of police lineups where witnesses weren't really sure. Yes. And did you know you subliminally, they were, subimin sub they were subliminally becoming Subliminal. aware of the authorities in the room tensing up when they were asked to look at all the different suspects and so they could feel that energy and but it helped to fuel their decisions because mm. you know a lot of police a lot of police lineups that were just really badly handled and anyway there's all that do they even do those anymore i don't know maybe not maybe they just use photos so but there's something that needs to be looked at here and that is the fact that a lot of different unconnected people said they saw bodies yeah right I, I just see this as there's so many potential holes in those arguments. Mm -hmm. What's interesting, though, is that something like Area 51 has the opposite. The evidence drags you towards believing the Bob Lazars and, you know, and even the earlier stories that, that, um, uh, that you covered. Um, the gentleman who, you know, was he pushed out of a window or committed suicide? Yeah, uh, yeah. like all of that stuff. It's it's really compelling and odd, and and certainly Bob Lazar's story that has in you know in the years since has proven to be true, right? Things that he mm -hmm. claimed were in fact uh, true for the fact that he worked there. That leads more uh, lends more credence to his story and and this idea that aliens do exist and have visited here. Certainly in, in recent times, there's more and more and more weird information that's coming out from credible sources like the US government that yeah. seems to suggest we're not alone. Something that's important to mention too is, um, and I didn't really touch on this, is that you gotta remember too, that the way that the aliens were described, let's take the glass case out of the equation because we know that's bogus. But the way the aliens were described um, by everyone who saw them is a way that aliens are described by everybody who's every credible person. Well, when I say credible, but every well-known person who's seen an alien. Yeah. They were the, the same size. Uh, their bodies were a very physically very, very similar to what most people have seen, like Betty and Barney Hill way back from like yeah. what? Episode four of this, of this series. So there's that as well. And that makes me go a little bit. Hmm. Right. I'd love it to be true. I'd love it. I think it is. Oh, I mean, I mean, Roswell. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. There was so much shit going on between the U.S. and the Soviet Union then. I mean, good Lord. They were trying everything to get the upper hand, right? 
All right, Dan. Uh, yeah. And again, listeners, people who are super familiar with Roswell, don't shit all over me because I didn't uncover every stone. There were too many. I took the ones that I thought were most fun. I, lo- I enjoyed presenting tonight a theory that had been debunked, the glass case. Yeah. No, I think that's fair. I think that's a really good uh, counterbalance to it. And again, we're not about uh, telling fantastic stories and... and uh, and trying to pull the wool over anyone's eyes. We tell uh, the stories that we know to be true or what we've heard. And, and I think that's great that you, uh, that you shared that part. You know, the slide story, the whole do that guy, Adam do um, would make a really great movie. He gets these slides. He finds out they were owned by this woman, you know, who'd never had kids. They traveled all over the place. She might've been friends with Eisenhower's wife. Like the, immediately the conspiracy just creates itself. And, you know, just and then him going down and then meeting the guy in Mexico who puts on that big event. And then the whole castle comes crumbling. It would be like a Steve Carell or someone like that that would be in that do role. Right. (laughs) Like just this guy. Yeah. Who's finally made it big and it just all comes crumbling down in front of him. (laughs) Yes. And he's just left with his car. Yeah. All right. I had fun with that one. I've been wanting to do that for a while. And on, and you know what? When I researched it, it wasn't what I thought it was. So I like that. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Exactly. I think over the years, too, you and I were probably going to create a very big quilt with all these little squares about UFOs. We're going to, over you know over the next couple of years, fill in all the blanks about all the famous UFO things that have happened. And not just UFOs, but we're seeing crossover on so many different things, right? We've been doing this long enough now that we're seeing stories that have a lot of similarities. Certainly when we're thinking of paranormal or like the yeah. demonic possessions and things like that, they're just odd. It's uh... Okay. Um, All right. So, folks, um, we love you and keep on listening to the word of the weird. Share the joy that you get out of this podcast with your friends and loved ones or people you hate if you hate the show, because that's a really great way at getting back at people you hate. If you are a square dance caller listening to this show, please uh, feel free to work the weird into your square dance calls. Now grab your lady and spin around, do a weird and do see down, 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 down. Duck for the oyster, duck, 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 dig for the clam, dig, 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 knock a hole in the old tin can. You didn't work weird into that. I know, I was just quoting a song. Did you know something really interesting? Okay, you know in in Ontario where we live, folks, we live in the province of Ontario in Canada, you can get personalized license plates here with symbols on them. And they have like a whole catalog of symbols. So like if you've been a veteran, you can get a veteran symbol. You can get like, if you're a firefighter, did you know one of the symbols that you can get is square dancing? No. It's a couple, like when there's her skirts in the air, and it's it's to show that you're a square dancer aficionado. And I'm like, I want to know how many people have bought that one. Yeah, I've never seen that one. Anyway, I was completely stupid information for a stupid yeah, if world. You are not thinking of coming to uh, Ontario before. Uh, I think you've just lured a lot of people in now. And if you're coming to Ontario, please visit Timmins, Ontario. Square dancing capital of the world. Yeah, exactly. I made that up. I don't even know. They would probably do it there. All right, everybody. Good night. Good night, Dan. You meet your partner halfway around and cry.